Hey, good morning, y'all, and welcome to yet another Fervent Online Experience. My name is Pastor Mike, lead pastor of Fervent Church, and we've been in this series called The New Era, learning how to live in the new. Right in the beginning of this pandemic period, um, all of uh, my pastor friends and even, you know, people in the news would say, yo, we're not going to go back. There's going to be, we're never going to go back to normal. Things are never going to be the same. And so we are stepping into a new era, a new chapter, a new beginning, if you will. And so we've been diving into that and understanding like the difficult parts of how it is, to, what it feels like to leave everything behind and jump into the new, because um, that's not easy. Um, sometimes like the new horrifies us. And what we've been talking about in this series is that when we are so protective of the old, the new seems like a threat. Um, but sometimes the new could be the best thing for us. Um, I love new things. I know you love new things. Come on, if I was to buy you something new, a gift is something new, right? You didn't have it before because if you had it before, it wouldn't be a gift. Come on, come on, right? And so um, we love new things. I love new things. I love new sneakers. I'm a sneakerhead. Where are my sneakerheads at, All right? I love new sneakers and I'm the weirdo that like when when I open up the box of sneakers, I like I just I don't, I don't just smell the sneakers. I inhale the sneakers because I just love the smell of new sneakers. Come on. Right. Um, I love the feeling when you buy a new shirt and you put on the new shirt for the very first time, that feeling of having a new shirt. Oh, it feels so good. Come on, fellas. You know what I'm talking about, right? That new fresh white tee. It feels good to put on something new. I remember the days when I used to get haircuts. All right. Insert ball joke here. Go ahead. Comment section. Light it up. Make fun of me. I got thick skin. Bring it. All right. But I remember getting walking out that barbershop. You get the new haircut. You feel like a new man. New is awesome. I love new. New is great. And so we need to embrace the new and have that posture, have that attitude towards the new things that are ahead of us. And so as we discuss this new era, we got to look at it as though it's like it's a brand new car. Anybody like the new car smell? Right. We got to get in that thing and we got to be we got to be excited about it. We got to be passionate about it. You know, when you get your new car, you don't let anybody eat in it. You, you don't let anyone um, do anything crazy in it. Right. You don't you don't let anyone put their their shoes up on the upholstery or anything like that. Right. You you want to preserve it. So let's preserve what we have today. And that's a new era. And so today we've talked about how Jesus stays the same. Jesus doesn't change. We need to change. And last week we talked about, when Jesus talked about this new wine, how we need to have the capacity for new things. Because Jesus told this story that we can't put, you can't put new wine in old wineskins. We talked about that, that new patches don't fix old garments. And so today I want to talk about something that we're going to call the new covenant. All right. That's really churchy language. Um, it's, it's from the Bible, but we're going to break it down and make it real applicable today. But I want to talk about the new covenant. And so today we're also going to be having communion together. And so, so if you haven't already to grab like, I know this is kind of weird because normally we do it inside a church building, but we're doing it at home. And so hopefully you have your crackers or your grape juice or even wine even, and we're going to have communion together. Um, and we're going to talk about the context. The, our context today is basically the first communion, Jesus instituting the first communion and talking about the bread and the wine. And, but he, when he took that cup, he called it the new 
covenant. A little bit of background text before we read today is that during this time, it was Passover, okay? And um, Jewish people, they, to this day, they still celebrate Passover. It's usually it's eight days in the spring. And what Passover did was, was it, it, it allowed them to celebrate um, the event of God passing over um, his wrath um, against the people of Egypt. Um, and so what they had to do is back in the day, they had to sacrifice a spotless lamb, okay? Perfect lamb. And they have to take the blood and put it on the threshold of their door, right? And the 10th plague that God, God hit Egypt um, with 10th plagues as Egypt was enslaving the Israelites and the Jewish people at the time. And so he, that 10th plague was the death of the firstborn son. But God made a promise. He said, listen, if you, if you put blood on your, your threshold, that plague will pass over you. Uh, but it had to be from a spotless lamb. And, so to, and then afterwards, once he did that and, he, and, and the firstborn of Jewish people were saved, that he said, hey, I want you to remember this moment. Remember this moment when I preserved you from this. And so um, Jewish people to this day, they still celebrate Passover. And Passover, we usually celebrate it, again, uh, around springtime, right around our time when we celebrate Easter. And what they do is they uh, commemorate it uh, with um, uh, fire roasted lamb, bitter herbs, and unleavened bread. Um, and I love that our Bible calls Jesus, Jesus is our Passover, right? Because of his blood, um, God's wrath passes over us. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. But today we're going to read, again, um, Jesus talking about, during Passover, talking about this cup of the new covenant, right? I didn't just bore you and teach you all this stuff for no reason. I'm giving you the background context of what's going on here um, because it's going to make some things come to life, okay? So Luke 22, starting at verse 14, it says, When the hour to come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. He said to them, with fervent desire, I love that, come on, shameless plug there, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks. Okay. He took the cup and gave thanks. He says, take this and divide it amongst yourself. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is the cup. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is near me. There's drama in the atmosphere, folks. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus knew that there was one of them that were going to betray him. And he sat there and ate with the dude anyway. Isn't that crazy? And he says, one of them betrayers at me with the, at the table, on the table, and truly the son of man goes and it has been determined, but woe to that man whom he is betrayed. This is a pretty epic connection that's happening, right? That, that, that he's connecting a bunch of stuff here, and there, he's getting ready for the moment of like the climax of the story, like the death, burial, and resurrection 
of Jesus Christ, right? So this is, this, this is all coming together. And this might sound weird to you that this guy's lifting up this cup and saying, this is my blood and, and you're going to drink it and you're going to eat this bread and this is gonna, you're going to remember my body. Like, this sounds really weird, but you got to understand that, man, Jesus was so relevant. Sometimes churches get a bad rap when they try to be relevant, but Jesus was being relevant to these guys during Passover, during the time when they're supposed to remember that God's wrath overlooks his people when it comes to the blood of a perfect lamb. And that's why we call Jesus is the lamb of God, because he was perfect morally. And because of his blood, God overlooks. God overlooks our discrepancies. God overlooks our mistakes. God overlooks our sins. God overlooks our, the voids in our hearts, right? Because of that grace of what he did. So this is an epic moment. And he raises the cup and he says, this is the cup of my new covenant. Now wait, he said the word new. He said the word new, which means, folks, that there was an old covenant, right? What was the old covenant about? Well, prior to this, the old covenant said this. The old covenant said, hey, if you do all these things, if you do it right, and if you, don't, if you live by these standards, then you will have the approval of God, okay? That was the old covenant. So there was a 300 plus laws and we had to abide by those laws. And so and if we didn't abide by those laws, then we had to offer a sacrifice to God because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so that was the old covenant. That was the old way of living. But Jesus came in and he goes, now I'm introducing to you a new covenant. And what was that new covenant? All that new covenant was is this. Here was, it was the agreement that said this, that if you believe in me, if you believe in my death, if you believe in this blood, you live under the new covenant where you don't have to do to be accepted. We're accepted so you're empowered to do. It's a brand new covenant. And I, sadly enough, I still think that there are times where we're trying to fit the old covenant in the new covenant. Come on. On those days where we feel like God doesn't like us, we're living in the old covenant. Come on. Has anyone said that? Oh, somebody up there is mad at me when you're having a bad day. That's old covenant. That's not new covenant. Right. And so when we when he says when we take communion, which we will do today, let's let's identify the times when we're still living according to the old covenant, because he says, I gave you this new covenant. Now, I know the word covenant is like a churchy word. Right. We see church names with the word covenant in it. And 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 so I, I want to talk about what what covenant is. All right. Covenant. Um, is different from a contract. Sometimes people say, well, covenant's like a contract. Well, they're, they're actually different. Contract, you, you sign a contract, you go, you go into a contract when you don't trust the other person, okay? Usually a contract is, is, is one agree, agreeing party does something um, and, and they, they commit to that something. However, when the, when the other party or yourself, when they, when they violate that agreement, then the contract is broken, right? So the whole contract becomes null and void. Basically, the signer of the contract agrees to hold up their end as long as the other signer holds up to theirs as well, okay? So it's very transactional and it's very conditional. Now, here's the difference between a contract and a covenant. A covenant, with a covenant, both parties agreed to hold up their end regardless. Come on, in the comment section, say regardless. There's this regardless um, effort 
when it comes to a covenant. So when a covenant, so when the other person fails to fulfill their side of the covenant, it, the covenant's not broken. The covenant is not null and void. You still have to abide by that covenant. Okay, And that's why marriage should be a covenant. Even though the other person doesn't maintain their end of the agreement, we still got to keep doing what we're doing. Okay, it's not a, I hate it now that we have downgraded marriage to a contract. No, a marriage is a covenant. Okay, our, our, our relationship with God isn't a contract. It's a covenant, okay? We don't get Jesus bucks or angel bucks for doing good. It's a covenant agreement. And I love that because, man, we don't want a contract with God. I know I don't want a contract with God. Old preachers used to say this way, fairness ended at the cross, right? The old covenant, to be honest with you, is actually more of a contract. You do this. If not, if you don't do this, then you get disapproved by God. But this new covenant says this, that man, even when I mess up, his love endures forever. Even, even when I have a bad day, he, he still values me. And I'm still, the Bible says, as Jesus is, so am I. So, so the perfection of Jesus, right, stands between me and God the Father. And so when I mess up, he doesn't see the screwed up Mike Rosado. He sees the perfect and blameless Jesus Christ. All right. I love that covenant. Fairness Ended at the cross. Come on, type in the comment section, yo, favor ain't fair. And thank God when we, and I know that's my Achilles heel. Sometimes I really get mad. I'm always thinking about what's fair, what's fair, what's fair, what's fair. Thank God Jesus isn't fair. Thank God God the Father is no longer fair. In the past, you did something wrong, man, you, you got condemned. But now when we do something wrong, and that, that's the fair thing, right? The, the, the punishment meets the crime. But now when we, when we make a crime, when we commit a crime, we have grace on our lives, right? Do we still have to live with the, the, the repercussions of certain things? Absolutely. But when it comes to God's love and acceptance for us, we're under the new covenant. Come on. I'm preaching better than you're commenting today. All right. So we, that's when we stepped up that new, when he put that cup up and he says, this is the cup of my new covenant. That was a game changer. That was the introduction of a new era. That was the introduction of a new era. So we need to hold on to that and remember that the grace of God, that the favor of God ain't fair. And thank God for that. And thank God for that. So as we're coming into the new era, um, as we're stepping into this new covenant, we have to make some commitments regardless, regardless, because that's what covenant is all about. That's the key word in a covenant. It's regardless. He loves us regardless. So can we make some regardless type of commitments today as we step into the new era of Fervent Church? And so today, again, nothing magical about three, but I also want to honor your time um, and also make this stuff um, approachable and, and um, palatable. And, and so I got three commitments that I want you to make today that I believe is going to set us up for the new era. You ready? Here it goes. Number one, I want you to make a commitment to constantly revisit the truth. A commitment to constantly revisit the truth. He said this very clearly. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. I remember growing up Catholic, going to even Catholic school, even in Atlantic City, and there was a, a table on the altar 
and inscribed on the front of the table was to do this in remembrance of me. And it usually was the table that, that hosted the, the, the wine and the bread uh, when we took communion. And so here, I, I want us to make a commitment to remember and to constantly revisit the truth because he says, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, John chapter one says, the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 says, and the word became flesh, okay? So Jesus is equal to the word, okay? He is the word. The whole word is about Jesus. So when he says, do this in remembrance of me, I believe that we need to remember the word. We need to remember the truth. We need to revisit the truth because there's sometimes folks we have what I like to call whisper down the lane theology. And what I mean by that is that you ever play that game, whisper down the lane, where, you know, you started off, one person says something, they whispered in someone's ear and they couldn't repeat it, but they had to, they couldn't ask for, for it to be said again, but they had to pass it on to the next person. And usually about three or four people down, the message got distorted, right? The message got distorted. And I think that's the same way in regards to the, the, what we've learned from the Bible, what we've learned, even from the pulpit, what the preacher says. It's just whisper down the lane theology, and we fail as a people to revisit the truth. We fail to go back and say, did it really say that, right? The, the reason of the fall was someone questioning what God said, right? The serpent came in the garden and said, did God really say that? And if Adam and Eve continued on a daily basis to revisit the truth, they would say, Heck yeah, he said that. I know for a fact he said that. But I think if we don't make that commitment to constantly revisit the truth, we're just going to have whisper down the lane theology and end up in a place where God never intended us. How do I know this? If, like recently, I don't know why, I've just been like watching a lot of history and reading a lot of history stuff. Um, all of a sudden became a history buff. And throughout history, the Bible has been misused constantly to to promote things that are contrary to the character of Jesus. The Bible's been used to promote slavery. The Bible's been used to downgrade women in our society. The Bible's been misused in politics. Come on, November's right around the corner. It's increasing, it's escalating, and the Bible's been misused for that. And so all throughout history, People misuse scripture and not remember the character of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the word, right? And so we, when we fail to revisit the truth and we have this whisper down the lane theology, we, we allow things that, that, that are the complete opposite of the kingdom of God to be a part of our life. It's crazy how in 1933, the beginning of the Nazi era, right? Germany, check this out. Germany was 67% Protestant Christians. Are y'all making that connection? 67%, almost 70% of the whole entire country was Protestant Christian. That means like not Catholic Christian, Protestant Christian. 67% in the beginning of the Nazi era. You remember that horrible time in history? The rise of Adolf Hitler. This whole entire country was 70% Christian. How the heck? How the heck did this man rise to power? How the heck did this country get so distorted when 70%, when three out of four people in the audience were profession, professing Christ followers? How does that happen? Why? It's whispered down the lane theology. We forgot to revisit the truth. We forgot to ask the question, did God 
really say that? Come on. Even today that affects us, because if I'm honest, 49% of America, it's been decreasing for a while, but 49% of America still consider themselves Protestant Christians. And if we added the 23% of, of Catholics, okay, then you, now you're, we're right back up to 70%-ish of people that claim to be Jesus followers. So why the heck are we dealing with the issues that we're dealing with today in America? If 70% of people claim to follow Jesus, you remember that Jesus that stood for the, the, the disenfranchised, that stood for the neglected, that stood for the poor, that fed the poor, that, that healed the broken, that Jesus, and we're still dealing with racism, and we're still dealing with not taking care of our fellow man? Come on. We're, and we're still dealing with the decline of spirituality in America? The decline of, of Christian spirituality in America, all right? I believe that there's a hunger out there for spiritual truth. So people say there's a rise in spirituality in America, but it's not the Christian spirituality. 70% of people who claim to follow Jesus, yet they don't love their own neighbor? When that's the very thing, if there's any major thing, what, when they ask Jesus, what's the most important thing? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. He said, everything, everything hinges on that right there. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. And we're still dealing with this nonsense. Why? Because we have neglected the commitment to go back and revisit the truth. And we've allowed whisper down the lane theology and we're believing preachers that stand up and say things like, hey, it's about prosperity and hey, it's about this and hey, it's about that. No, it's about God and people, period. That's what it's about. And so let's commit not just to take the preacher. Don't even take my word for it. I'm giving you the license not to take my word for it, but to go back to scripture, to go back to the Bible, to go back, not just the Bible, but I'm talking about go back to Jesus. Find Jesus in the Bible, because if you're not finding Jesus in the Bible, then you ain't reading it right. And to be committed to go back to revisiting the truth, because revisiting the truth can either lead to reaffirming our decisions or repenting from them. And I say that again, because that's the most important subpoint of point number one. That revisiting the truth can either lead to reaffirming our decisions. Yeah, that was a good decision the church made. Yep. Or repenting from it. And repenting from it is fine. We all go off. We all need that, myself included. Sometimes I need that realignment. Where does that realignment come from is when we go back and revisit the truth. So I repent. Ah, you know what? I was stupid for leading that way. I was stupid for saying that. I was stupid for believing in that. I was stupid for empowering that. There's sometimes we empower traditions that Jesus never, ever, ever empowered. All right. And so when you revisit that, it could either reaffirm the decisions or we can repent from those decisions. And don't get me wrong. I'm not asking you to go back and question scripture. What I'm asking you to do is this. You ready for this one? Stop. If you can, stop reading verses and go back to reading paragraphs. Go back to reading in its context. When I say go back and revisit the truth. Don't, I think in our modern day age, all we do is reread headlines, reread tweets. Some of us, we barely even read the caption. But when it comes to truth, read the context. Read the context. Stop just reading one little verse because it might lead you to whisper down the Elaine theology even. Um, when we need to understand what is the character of Jesus. 
saying to me in this moment through his scripture. Y'all getting this? Study, study and revisit sermons. You know, I, I love it watching people write notes, you know, and take notes during sermons. But like, be honest with you, what's the point if you're not revisiting it starting Monday? I heard this other statistic where on Monday, um, cr criticism online and trolling online is at its peak on a Monday. Ain't that a trip? Remember, 70% of Americans claim to follow Jesus, yet the peak trolling moment in our week is Monday, the day after Sunday, the day after most of us engaged with Scripture. And then the first, the, the first regular day we go to is the highest day of trolling and criticism and hating on people. We preach love on Sunday, but then hate on people on Monday. Let's be committed to revisit the truth. Number two, a commitment to constantly move forward. All right? To constantly move forward. In this story that we just read, Jesus didn't die yet. Yet, he says, this is my blood. This is my body that was broken for you. Now, he's proclaiming that. He's speaking into the future. He's helping them move forward. We're right now, we're celebrating Passover, but there's a bigger Passover that's going to happen in a, in, a, in, a, in a few moments. There's something that we're stepping into this new era. He was, he, was, he was foreshadowing what was going to happen, but he was speaking as though it's already here. And I think that there are times in, in, in the church and there are times in your life where you need to constantly move forward because sometimes we get stuck in the moment I don't like preaching about defining moments. I don't like, I think it empowers moments too much. Well, that was a defining moment in my life. That might have been a moment that impacted your life. That might have been a moment like, it, we, I'm not saying not to celebrate moments, but to be cautious, folks, about allowing moments to define you because don't get, you get either stuck in the moment. We get stuck in bad moments and we get stuck in good moments. But we're called to also move forward. So when he says, hey, I'm giving you this new thing, he's stepping us into forward motion, okay? He was prophetically speaking about what was going to happen, okay? And so um, without getting too weird, folks, I'm asking the question, where are the prophets nowadays? Where's the prophetic? And not prophet isn't like Old Testament prophet where they would come in and be uh, the mouthpiece of God and, and talk about, you know, how countries were getting judged and, and those kind of things. But when I say prophet or prophecy, um, it's, it, sometimes it doesn't have to be as weird as it was, okay? A, a prophet is a, is a spokesperson to a movement. It's a mouthpiece of a movement. It's not just a person who foretells the future, but it also is described as an inspired teacher or leader that moves people into the future, okay? So let's look at being prophetic that way. I'm moving people into the future. You can move people into the future with encouragement. You can move people into the future with, with hope and optimism even, right? You can move people into to the future with, with speaking truth, right? And, and, and shining a light in darkness. We could still be prophetic. We could still move people into the future. But here's the problem. Ask yourself, when was the last time you were a catalyst, you, you were a leader that moved someone into their tomorrow? Church. When was the last time the church was sought 
was seen as an as a, as a organization that moved us into tomorrow. Where's the innovation in the church? Where's the creativity in the church? We serve the creator of the universe. We serve God. We serve the, the he, this guy made a, a duck-billed platypus, okay? Creative, right? We serve a guy that made zebras. We serve the guy that made these crazy creatures. We serve the guy that made us, all right? So, and then we're also made in the image of God. So why, have the, why has the church ceased to be creative? Because we ceased to move forward. Because we stopped looking forward and we stopped living in the prophetic. And I believe that creativity and prophecy and prophetic go hand in hand. That we could see things differently. We could see things differently that, that, than what we see right here, right now, today. And so to, to continue to give and receive encouragement, because that moves people into the future. A commitment to constantly move people forward. Because the problem is, when we stay here, we only become experts of here. And I'll be honest with you, what that has produced, it's produced jerks in the church. I said it. I said it. What you going to do? You can't throw anything at me. You're going to mess up your screen, right? But it's true. Like, the, the, we don't need any more jerks, people. We don't. We need encouraging, prophetic people, moving people into the future. We do not need any more jerks. We are known for things we oppose rather than things we are for. That's real quick. The church, the church is known for things that we're against. People can identify quicker the things that we're against more than the things that we're for. We are for love. We are for people. We are for justice. We are for peace. Come on. We, we are for the expansion, not of our kingdom, but the kingdom of God, which we'll talk more about next week. That's what we are for. But I guarantee you that our society knows more what we're against than what we're for. And that is not the life that we're called to live, folks. And Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5:14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Verse 15 says it this way. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Can we get rid of the baskets, folks? We have our light is under a basket. What is that basket, Pastor Mike? That basket is our Christian social clubs, our, our inverted Bible studies um, that, that no one outside of church feels welcomed in or it's not even approachable to them. We're, we have these social clubs where, where we have churches that are us for and no more and we're exclusive and we, we don't make friends with outsiders and and that is the basket that I'm talking about. We have this internal language where we only speak Christianese so that that other people, they need a, a decoder even to understand what we're saying. That is the basket, I believe, that Jesus was talking about. And that light needs to be put on a stand, a city on a hill for the world to see. If the world needs to see it, then the world needs to understand it. Let's get out from under 
the basket. Hello. And be committed to a church that's moving forward. So if our society's language changed, then we translate everything we know so that they could understand us. Come on. One of, the, one of the, the missing points of the Holy Spirit in our lives, or when we see the day of Pentecost, that's the day when the Holy Spirit fell and people were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that they spoke in tongues, but not tongues that only heaven understands. They spoke in languages that people uh, were walking by saying they're speaking the glory of God in our language. So watch this. The first time we see the Holy Spirit empower a group of people wasn't for us just to have cool services, wasn't for us to, to speak in tongues and, and, and only for heaven to understand. It was so that other people could understand the glory of God in their language. Let's be the church that's committed to moving forward. Come on. Number three, last one. Y'all getting this? You better. This is good stuff. I don't care what you think. Number three, a commitment to constantly look inside our hearts. Later on, um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, he, he's performing communion, and he says, before we take communion, this is a good time to, to look at ourselves, to take inventory, if you will, which again, in a few moments, we're going to do that, um, to take inventory. And, and I know that's scary. So if we're going to make a commitment to constantly look inside our hearts, this is a scary thing because you want to know why? The heart is deceitful above all things, Scripture says. And to look at ourselves is very scary, and it gets very messy. But this is a commitment that we all need to make. I, I've, I've learned to, 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 when it comes to the, the proverbial mirror in our life, to look at myself, um, I, I learned to live in this tension. Uh, and maybe this will help you out. I'm not as good as I think I am but I'm not as bad as I think I am either, right? There's this duality to us. There's some days where I'm, I'm leaning on the arrogant side where I'm just like, I think I'm all that and a bag of Skittles, right? Or, or there are days where I'm just like, I suck. I'm, I'm not, this is not my lane. What am I doing here? I'm beating myself up. And so the, the humility, when I look in the mirror, I, I hold on to both of those things at the same time. I'm not as good as I think I am but I'm not as bad as I think I am either. And that leaves me in a place where I'm not, I'm humble, but, but I'm not humiliating myself, right? I'm, I'm confident, but not cocky. I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to those two things as I look myself in the mirror, because if not, if we, what we do is like to avoid both of those things, we don't look at the mirror at all, and we never take our time to look at ourselves and make ourselves better. Your wholeness is important. Your healing is important. We, we cannot, I've said this time and time again, but let me revisit this truth here. You cannot be a tour guide of a place you've never experienced. And so as we tell people about hope, as we tell people about peace, as we tell people about life transformation and authenticity, we can't tell people about it if we haven't experienced it ourselves. And the only way to do that is to constantly look at the mirror. James 1, 22 to 24 says it this way. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, which 70% of Americans, that's what we do. We hear the word, but we don't do it, all right? He is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. That's that proverbial mirror I'm talking about. For he observes himself, he checks himself out. God, make sure the beard's straight, the eyebrows are on check, all right? The collar's all right. He looks at himself, he checks himself, he observes, 
He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. And I think that's what we do. We look at ourselves just for a moment because we don't want to look at, make sure everything's correct. All right. And then, but we don't, we don't, we don't take inventory. We don't investigate what's wrong with us today so that I could be better, so that I could encourage myself to get up in the areas that I'm down or encourage myself up to, hey, step down in the areas that I think I'm too far up and take that inventory. It is scary. It is uncomfortable, but it is necessary for us to be people of God, people that are better, people that are what the church has called sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And sanctification is a progressive thing, meaning that like sanctification is when we allow the Holy Spirit to make us better every single day, that's an everyday thing. All right. And it's messy and it's dirty and it's uncomfortable, but it is necessary. It's messy. It's dirty. It's uncomfortable, but it is necessary. Right. And us for in order for us to move forward, in order for us to do point one and number two, we have to be able, we have to be willing to take the risk to look at ourselves in the mirror and to remember I'm not as bad as I think I am. And I'm not as good as I think I am either. One of the first questions God asked humanity was this question, where are you? And he didn't ask this question because he didn't know the answer. Why did God, why did the creator of Adam and Eve ask Adam the very first question, very first recorded question in scripture was the question, where are you? And we studied on the first part of this series that God is omniscient, he is all knowing. So why in the world would God ask humanity a question that when he already knew the answer. Here's why. God was trying to lead Adam to a place of self-awareness. And I think, and I think the church, I think many of us watching right now, we are lacking in self-awareness. And God wants to lead you to a place of self-awareness. Because I believe that self-awareness makes you better than any scholar. I believe that self-awareness is actually the true hallmark of great, healthy leadership. It's that area of self-awareness. We love to preach, and I, and I see it all the time. Can I? Moment of vulnerability, folks. As a preacher, I'm preaching, and I'm trying to lead us into a new era, right? And I'm not perfect in it. I'm, I, there are days where I am um, just as guilty as you are, where I hear a truth, and I say, Amen. That's it. That's for me. Amen. The word amen, you know what all it means? It means so be it. It means that you're giving it permission to infect your life, to impact your heart when you say amen. But I wish that we could change up amen in this new era. Instead of saying amen, say, I'm going to do that. Because I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to be a doer of the word. Yep. Instead of amen, I'm going to do that. And that's a game changer because there are times when we're preaching, we're, we're, we're interacting, we're wrestling with the truth. We're having intimacy with the truth. And we say things like amen, but then we, don't ha- we lack the self-awareness to do it. We need to love our neighbor, amen. But right in the foyer, we say things like, I can't stand her. Or he gets on my nerves. But love our neighbor, amen, amen. Come on. We need to reach the world for the lost, amen, amen. Do you know your neighbor? Nope. Nope. I'm an introvert. I'm not walking across the street to get to know my neighbor. That's weird. Amen, though. Amen. We're lacking self-awareness, folks. We're lacking self-awareness. Well, I don't want to be fake. Listen to me. Someone said this the other day on, on to the floor, and, uh, and I love this person, so I'm not picking on you. This is, 
all of our issue. We say, well, I don't want to do something if my emotions don't back up th that thing that I want to do, because uh, that, that makes me feel fake. Um, here's what real fakeness is, okay? Being fake isn't, isn't doing something that isn't accompanied by emotions, right? That's honestly, that's like doing something that's not accompanied by emotions. That's not being fake. That's being disciplined, right? I don't feel like eating right, but when I do it, that's disciplined. There are times I don't feel like loving my kids, but when I do it, that's discipline. That's me living under covenant even. Let me go back to, to the first part of this message, that that's me living under covenant. So being fake, really being fake, is when I'm not making decisions based off my true identity. What is my true identity? I am a child of God. What is my true identity? I am made in the image of God. What is my true identity? I am a follower of Christ. Before I am an introvert, before I am bald, before I am Puerto Rican, before all of those things, I am a follower of Christ. So being fake is when I don't abide by that. And I need to have this self-awareness to know that when I'm off, even when my emotions want to do something different, even when my current logic in the moment wants to do something different, being fake is not abiding by the image of God that I'm created with. That's being fake. So when I'm extending hospitality, even though I don't feel like it, that's not me being fake. That's actually be me real, a real disciple of Jesus. I'd rather be accused of being fake. I'd rather be accused of being fake when I'm trying to be a real disciple of Jesus. Come on. And we, as we step into this new era, let's make those three commitments. Let's revisit the truth. Come on. Let's, let's, don't just take the, the pastor's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Let's revisit the truth. I'm going to pick on some of y'all. Some are like, oh, pastor, we need to work on the biblical literacy in the church. Cool. So we busted our tail and created this software called Fervent Now and created all these Bible studies. And very limited people have signed up for these Bible studies. But you want Bible studies. You, wanna, you want the truth to be served to you. And we did it and still have a low, <laughs> a low sign up, right? And that's not a pitch to get you to sign up. We don't make money off of Fervent Now, but I'm just telling you that that's where we are. We fail to revisit the truth. We fail to be committed to move into the future, right? To move forward. And we just want to stay where we are. Some of us are so resistant to change. Come on, let's make commitment to constantly move forward. Not dishonoring the past, but building on it. And lastly, to look at ourselves because Let's put down the gavel and let's pick up the mirror. Can I say that again? Let's put down the gavel and let's pick up the mirror. We want to judge everyone else. Put down the gavel and pick up the mirror. I want to close today with communion. And before we do communion, um, we're, we're Protestant, which means that we're, we're not Catholic. And I remember growing up in the Catholic Church. If you weren't Catholic, you weren't able to participate uh, at the communion table. Um, but but we, don't, we don't believe that here. We believe that there's one body and there's one church. And so all you, you don't have to be a part of Fervent Church. You don't, have to be, um, uh, you don't have to be anything but a follower of Jesus to take this. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want to pray for you right now. Um, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if, you, if this has stirred you up, you're like, wow, like everything you're talking about, I could be about that. I don't know about the old churchianity stuff that I heard of and learned from the past, but, but this moving forward stuff, like, I feel like the, the Spirit of God is pulling me in. Uh, I want to pray for you, and then we're going to take communion together, all right? So if that's you, if you can, show me an emoji, raise your hand, and I'm going to pray for you right now. Um, 
God, this person wants to receive you in their heart. So, Father, let them know that you lived this perfect life. You died for them. And you rose again on the third day so that you could give us victory over all of our mistakes and our shortcomings. And because of this love, because of this love, not for your love, but because of this love, we want to live better lives with you at the center, you as our source, and you as our leader. So we follow you, Jesus, right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. So if you can, church, everyone, even those who just prayed that prayer, let's all grab the bread right now. And we're doing this to, to obey Jesus, number one. Number two, we're doing this um, because we're, we're activating the truth in our lives. So that when you take this bread, just remember that what we just read on the night he was betrayed, he took it, he gave thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body that is broken for you. This is my body that is broken for you. So as we eat, let's remember the sacrifice. Let's remember that because of what Jesus did, we are whole and we are healed. Take the bread right now. Immediately after he took the cup, and remember, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is the cup of the new covenant. Not the old covenant, the new covenant. Jesus becomes our Passover lamb. So when we take this cup, let's remember, let's take inventory of everything, everything we've done wrong. And if you're a person right now, I'm going to challenge you, if you're a person right now that who can't remember the things you've done wrong, who can't remember the things you're doing wrong, um, then, then just pause. You actually turn off this video right now, go journal, go pray, and ask God to, to just like infuse humility in your heart. Because everyone, everyone, even his own scripture says in Romans 8.1, I'm sorry, Romans 3.23, we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so we're not coming to this table perfect. None of us are. So as we drink, as we take this cup, let's remember that Jesus is our Passover lamb. We are not. And let's thank God for Jesus. Take now and remember the bloodshed. I believe that um, today could be a turning point for many of us listening. And again, we all just sat here and we, we're, we're looking at the mirror Let's not walk away and forget any of this. Um, and let's step in to the new era together. Thanks, church.